You're listening to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. If you want to have guarantees, you have to buy a washing machine. Match either we win or we learn, and today we learned. Abdacha, Austin, Shotagizabi. It's in field to Mane, 25 yards out. Lovely ball for Bella. Onside, 1 0. Blue fast shot. Oh my word. It's he ran around a bit like Bambi on ice. It was very, very embarrassing to watch. And now, and now, now. Your, host, your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast and newsletter dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans and available right here on SouthamptonDelivery.com. My name is Matt Markson and I am the host of the show and no matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thanks for making the show part of your day. I hope you enjoy it and I hope that you enjoyed the way Saints started the 2021 calendar year. Uh, thankfully, they did not start it in the way that they ended 2020. Thank God that is behind us, and there's no guarantee that this will be better. Uh, Saints had a good calendar year in terms of their performances and points they put up, but let's hope that for everybody's sake, 2021 is uh, is different. And um, the way Saints started this year, they got a victory over Liverpool, something that they hadn't done since uh, you know Ronald Kuma was in charge. We came from behind to beat them 3-2 at St. Mary's, but uh, a back-to-the-wall performance at times, but something uh, they, they got the job done. And that's really, at this point, all that matters. And if you look at the way Ralph reacted at the end of the game, you can see how much it means to him and how much it means to the players. And I think it, it means that much to us as well. But just the manager showing that emotion, I think, is something um, hopefully we realize now how much he cares about the club and how much he cares about winning and seeing us progress. And uh, it, it was good to see. So uh, this is the first show of 2021. So welcome if this is your first time. Uh, hopefully you enjoy it. This week I am joined by Jacob Tanswell. Jacob writes for Prost International and uh, does a fantastic job. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about his writing and his career and things like that in part one. And uh, normally we just kind of go through all all in one go uh, from you know career to your questions to the game or whatever. Uh, but because the game was being played on a Monday night and this comes out on a Tuesday morning, the timeline is a little messed up. So uh, Jacob and I talked on Sunday afternoon uh, and took care of all the part one stuff. So you'll notice we're a little bit more somber. We weren't really expecting uh, to beat Liverpool, honestly. So we were kind of looking at the way 2020 ended. And, um, you know, at least myself, I, I'll, I'll be honest that I was kind of thinking 2021 was going to start that way as well. But thankfully, uh, Saints turn that around. And so by the time you get to part two, where we recap the Liverpool match, um, you know, we're a little bit more jubilant and, uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I am pretty tired just from watching that. I have no idea how the guys put in that effort, but they did. So, um, without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the episode. This is Jacob Tanswell. You can follow him on Twitter at J underscore Tanswell. And of course, links are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you on the other side. I'd like to welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, Jacob Tanswell. You can find him on Twitter at J underscore Tanswell. Uh, his writing is on Prost and several other sources. But uh, Jacob, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Matthew. It's been a while me and you talking, but I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, 
you're you're starting to make the rounds on the podcast, which is uh, I think a good thing. Um, but it could also just be a giant time suck. And if it takes away from writing articles, uh, kindly tell us all to leave you alone and let you keep writing because I think we're all enjoying it. But why don't we start with this? Um, what's your history with Southampton? Are you are you a Southampton uh, born and bred, or you, did you move down there for university? Or what's your kind of history with the with the the city and the club? So I was born in Southampton. I've always lived in Southampton. I still live in now. Um, in terms of being around the club, I first went to a game at St Mary's when I was three years old. Um, I was always, I, I used to play football a lot, so I didn't really, was able to go to as many games as I would like until I was getting a season ticket. But then eventually, was when I did start focusing on journalism as opposed to playing, I then could, uh, came more regularly. And it's at probably Christmas time last year where I started going to games in the press box. And since then, since Project Restart, I've been going every game and it's been excellent, really. Found a, you found a way in once they stopped letting uh, the fans in. So good, good for yeah. you. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, mentioned, you mentioned playing. What, did you, what, 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 what position did you play? So I initially, as I'm sure everybody, um, was a striker to start off with. Then they realized I was eight years old and I was quite tall for my age. So they put me a center back. And um, yeah, I've, I've played there ever since. Uh, I played as a, like a, you know, a, a six-year-old or whatever goalkeeper. And then I started, I didn't play until I was an adult after that. And then I started playing defense, um, usually left back. And then somebody on my team said, look, if you make a mistake right there, the other team scores, go play like left wing, because at least then if you make a mistake, uh, it takes a while for the other team to score. And so I've gone the opposite way, but not for good reasons. Um, but anyway, your playing career, did you play all the way through, like, just as a kid, just kind of normal stuff? Or, or was it something that you kind of wanted to be involved in football kind of your whole life? You wanted to make a career of it? Or, or how did that work? Yeah, so um, I first joined the team when I was four years old. I played for that team for uh, about three years. I was always playing a year above, though. And the FA uh, changed the rules back, I think I was about eight. So I had to join another team. And then when I did join another team, um, that's where it really took off, really. I got scouted by AFC Bournemouth. Uh, as a striker, as I said, and then they, I went to centre back. I played for Bournemouth for seven years. Got released when I was sixteen. I then went to Eastleigh Football Club. I became a scholar there. But then that was probably the time where, as I got released, when I realised that although I enjoyed playing, for me writing was my passion, and that's something that I really wanted to go down. You also wrote a piece, you know, that transition from being released and, and things like that. People deal with that. We saw stuff with with uh, the Manchester City, former Manchester City Academy player and things like that. And it's a, it's a tough kind of thing because you kind of put all of your effort and energy into this one thing. And then, uh, you know, for seemingly no reason, people just go like, okay, see you later. Um, and, and so w- were you writing during that time? Were you kind of enjoying like the English assignments or what was it about, about writing that kind of drew you in? I always loved English and at school and as I was just probably getting to my last year at Bournemouth, I started taking a real interest in different journalists, the way they wrote. But what I loved about English was that, unlike maths, where there is a set answer, where you know there is a right or a wrong, black or white, in English, you could do whatever you want. There was no layout. You could use your imagination. And for me, that was something that I really found fascinating. And for me, that's when it just started building and building and building having more confidence really. When you, you also write about other sports. So you write, you write for boxing, you're the boxing editor at Prost. Um, and, and how did that come to, to be? Did you have a, an interest in boxing as well? Or was it just kind of, that was available and you said like, I'll do it because it's writing or how did, how did that go? Well, I first started, I think I from boxing about four years ago as well. Um, and like, I look around, especially in the UK, there's not really that many 
sites that cover football and boxing and other sports as well. And I think there's a real dearth of interest in boxing from the media, considering that in the UK, Anthony Joshua sells at 90,000. It's quite a big sport right now. Um, so I just started thinking about boxing. I love the storylines that come with it, the, the characters and stuff. And it's just easy to write about, really, when you get that. But I also cover cricket as well. So during the summer here, I go to um, Hampshire Games. And that's really exciting and quite laid back because you've got four days to write about one article. So, yeah, it's a lot more chill than going to St. Mary. Yeah, I was going to say that the you have football where it's you know 90 minutes and then you're you're probably do some sort of deadline shortly after that which means you have to you know you probably craft some of the story before the game ever starts and then you either change or adapt as the game goes on and then you have to you know put the the beginning and end on it uh, at the end of it and i know that listening to other journalists talk about that it just sounds uh way more stressful than i would ever want to to do and it takes me uh way too long to write so i can never do that stuff but um and then cricket, like you said, you're kind of sitting there. Uh, I don't understand cricket scoring. Um, and Richard Brereton will 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 jokingly send me uh, cricket scores and go like, "Good luck, you know, figure it out." And it's like, I got I got no idea what's happening here. Um, but I, I guess, do you have a favorite? Is there a is there some one that you enjoy covering more than the other, or is it all just kind of you you enjoy it all and that's why you do it? I think it depends. I think in terms of excitement for me, boxing and football take over from cricket, uh, especially. Football in a in a game that's just, just high pressurized and there's a crowd in there, especially that's just fantastic. But if you want to relax and put your feet up and then have a bit, have a bit of food and write, sometimes I think cricket is definitely the way to go. Okay, so you've been covering Saints now for Prost for you said you said since about since Project Restart basically since last December or so. Yeah, it really picked up uh, as Project Restart began. Okay, and uh, I mean I. My experience with Prost is Steve Clare. Do you know, you know Steve, I assume? Yeah. Uh, one of the nicest guys that I've ever kind of worked with or talked to, um, you know, in, in, in football. And there are a lot of nice people, but Steve, for a while, was living kind of on, uh, on the West Coast out here. So we were on a similar, uh, you know, in terms of, of time, uh, same time zone and all that stuff. So we, we talked quite a bit. Um, and I'm glad now that he has got writers like you because before he would go like, Hey, do you want to write a, a season preview? And I'd be like, you know, I'm not very good at this. I'll do it, whatever. Um, and I'm glad to see that now he's got you and a couple of other guys. I think Dan is also writing for him for, for different clubs. And, um, it's nice to see that he's got actual journalists working for him and you guys are writing informative pieces. And, um, it's, it's different than what you get from the big newspapers because we get, you know, very little coverage there. Uh, we do have Dan who's over, uh, Dan Sheldon, who's writing for the athletic. Um, but that's that's behind a paywall. So I think, you know, the work that, that uh, Steve and, and you are doing over at, at Prost is is fantastic. And I, I hope it continues. And I just wanted to, to make sure I put that out there. But, um, you, you know, you I, I guess what was your, you know, coming into it last December, January, when it started to pick up, what was your kind of feeling around the club? Because at that point, you know, Boxing Day was great um, last year, I think, against Chelsea. But building up to that, we hadn't had the best of, of, of falls and what was the, the mood around the team at that time? And then how did that, did that impact your writing or did that impact how you wrote about it or, or anything like that? Well, the first game I think I went to in the press box was Southampton Everton. I think that was the first home game since the nine nil. And I expected going into the ground, a big reaction. I thought here's Southampton, they're going to show they're over that nine nil defeat, but then they lost two one. And I remember going to the press conference afterwards. And Parson Hittle, for me, he just looked like a broken man. I remember I wrote a piece afterwards saying, right man, wrong time. And I still believe that then. And I 
looked at him, I thought, you just, even though if you can turn it around, I don't think you've got the energy left in you. But ever since, I think the transformation has just been fantastic. He's, in that time where they were stuck in limbo, Southampton, he decided to take the positive route. He scrapped the five at the back, if you remember, went to four at the back, and he really just thought, you know what, I can't get much lower than the 9-0 defeat. I'm just going to go for this. And since that, their bravery has just been, it's been excellent to watch and it's been excellent to cover. Uh, do you think, I mean, there was a lot of talk at that point about the, the mood and, and kind of in St. Mary's and things like that and kind of the way the fans were reacting to the team playing. Um, do you think that, I mean, this is going back a little ways, but do you think that the, you know, missing out on, on fans being in the stadium actually kind of helped us a little bit in terms of it just allowed the team to play uh, with, with a little bit less pressure, I guess? I think if you, before Project Restart began, I thought, and I'm sure most of sports thought that probably would benefit Saints. Um, especially now, this season, where if you know they're playing out from the back a lot more, they're taking more risks. As opposed to last year, you look, they looked a bit rabbit in the headlights in the way they kept long ball. Mm-hmm. They weren't quite sure what they were doing at the back. And sometimes for Southampton supporters that are accustomed to playing, seeing more direct football, then they're probably frustrated and you do see some groan sometimes and that probably transmits onto the pitch. But having basically no one there is a training session pit game, they're inclined to take more risk. And as a result, I think it lends itself to the way Harden Hitler wants to play. Yeah, I think going into this season, you can see some of the balls, especially from Vestergaard, we see how much we're missing that because those 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 diagonals to, to Kyle Walker-Peters a lot of times really do force, um, it forces the defense to, to shift uh, and it really gives us a chance to to get on the attack pretty quickly. Um, whereas every time Alex McCarthy kicks the ball along, I basically just like assume we're going, going to lose it, um, which is kind of what we saw last year. Last year, it wasn't a big deal because we just pumped it long and then we try to win the second ball or, or force it away. But now we're actually trying to build attacks, which um, we'll, we'll, we'll come on to talk about a little bit because, you know, Saints have gone from from that Everton match and have progressed a lot on the pitch. You've seen the team change just a little bit in terms of, of Vestergaard coming in for Stevens. Uh, you've seen Romeu come in and replace Hoiberg at the, at, towards the end of last season and into this season. Um, so the core of the team has kind of stayed the same. Walcott's played a big role. But Southampton were going to have to always progress on the pitch in terms of uh, they weren't always going to be able to, to, to just rely on other teams trying to play through the middle and winning the ball back. They were going to have to figure out how to, how to break teams down them, themselves. And you can see that coming to a point now where we are struggling to to create chances. Um, you know, the the early run this season was great. Uh, not the first two games, obviously, but since then. Uh, and then the last five, it kind of has, you know, the attacks kind of petered out a little bit. We haven't been creating as many chances. And I know, I don't know how you feel uh, about advanced a- analytics. I know you, you, you have some of them in, in your pieces, but some people don't always like them. Um, XG and things like that, I think sometimes they just back up what you, what you see or what you think you see. Um, so, I mean, looking at Saints' last five matches coming into the Liverpool match, because we're talking, uh, we're going to, this is part one, we're going to talk before and then we'll talk after the, the match as well. But one win, three draws, one loss, um, four goals scored. I think only, was it two or three goals against? Two goals against, I think. But uh, an XG of, of 0.59, 0.12, and 0.67 in the last three, which uh, are not great. And, and I'm, I'm starting to get a little worried because we're starting to see, I think, some of the same patterns of, uh, of just failing to break teams down, which I think is a, a struggle that teams at our level are going to face because we maybe don't have the quality up front that we need to, like so, uh, Manchester City or Liverpool, to be able to do that. Um, and yet we're we seem to be kind of struggling for ideas, I guess. 
Yeah, if you, if you look at the XG rate throughout the season, I think you could always see this type of thing coming because Southampton, Danny Ings, Ward Prowse, they were performing way above the, the expected goals rate. You saw that against Aston Villa, obviously, with a 4-3 win. But I know one expected Southampton to be this ball heavy in terms of having this much possession. I always thought they could maybe 50-50 it in terms of possession, but now it's become more extreme than I could ever imagine. And it's a testament to how confident they are on the ball. But at the moment, obviously, Southampton love to play through central areas, don't they? And I think if team, at, the, at the moment, teams that started against Wolves when they played four at the back with an extra midfielder in there just to suffocate the midfield are figuring it out now. So I think Southampton just needs to be a little bit more adaptable and they just need to be a little bit more uh, quick in when they do get into the wide areas. I think you see it with Bertrand and Gineppo, something's not quite right at the moment, but I think if they two can sort it out, maybe return to form for Nathan Redmond and Stuart Armstrong, I expect Southampton to hopefully start regaining their goal-scoring touch. That was another thing, is the, those wide positions, the tens that you, you wrote about it, where they, they're required to do so much, and yet their creativity hasn't been there. They, they haven't created very many big chances. Uh, they haven't been all that involved in, in goal scoring or assists this season. And I guess the, the more they start to, to kind of tire and, and pull back in terms of uh, what they're creating in front of goal, um, obviously that coincided with the, the exit of Danny Ings for a couple of weeks. And Che Adams works the socks off and has gotten a lot better in terms of, of shooting and scoring and, and, and things like that from when he first uh, came to the team. But um, we, we just seem to be missing that all, all at once, which is, is not obviously what you want uh, from a team. And I, I guess the good news is we've been keeping or playing uh, defensively. We've been pretty good. Uh, McCarthy's been good. Um, and even when Stevens came in, we, we looked you know decent at the back, which I, I think is a, a big, that's what you need. You need to build from that, I guess, as well. So, um, you know, is it, I guess, would you say it's more, is it down to us being tired or is it down to uh, teams adapting more so? And then I guess if, if you're trying to tweak this and make it work, what do you think House and Hoodle does on the pitch, given the players he has? Well, I think throughout season, teams are always going to be figured out because obviously the amount of analytics that go on in football nowadays. And a lot of teams now know that Slampton, their main source of goals come through central areas. So when you're defending in a low block, it's quite easy just to defend, sit back. And the way you can break down a team that sits back is keep stretching them side to side, side to side. And at the moment, I don't see Southampton utilise them wings enough. That A lot of it, Gineppo likes to tuck in, Armstrong, Walcott, they like to be central. And obviously that's great in some games. Mm-hmm. But I think if they can just hold their width a little bit out on the wing, then you can stretch the other team. And then eventually, gaps and holes will appear through the middle. Well, the likes of Danny Ings, Jay Adams, whoever plays up front to, uh, to exploit. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, talking about Gineppo a little bit, I've been somewhat critical of him. Um, not because he's he's not great. The, the creativity is great. But um, looking at him and, and kind of the, the way that Ralph plays, we were talking about this on a, on a Patreon episode. Like, you know, if you go back to Arsene Wenger and, and his arsenal, it was, it was jazz, right? It was free form. And he allowed just guys to go out and express themselves. Um, Hassan Hoodle's not playing jazz. He's, he's more of like a, I would say like an, he's, he's conducting an orchestra and people have to be in time and be in rhythm. And it sometimes looks like Janepo is like, I'm just going to go ahead and solo here and I'm going to do, you know, and that's great at times, but, um, he seems to leave def- uh, his teammates, uh, kind of, um, wondering where he's going to be. And, 
Um, for me, that's that's been one of the most frustrating things because if you looked at the partnership that Bertrand and Redmond had developed over time, they looked comfortable. They knew where each other were going to be on the pitch. They could play one-time passes to each other and things like that. And it seems like whenever Bertrand looks up, he's got to take an extra touch and and kind of try to figure out where Janapo is and, and and things like that. And I think that that partnership hasn't developed yet. And I don't I don't want to blame Janapo because he he's the player that he is and he's going to learn. He's young. Um, but I still, I do think that that is, that is impacting us a little bit on the left. Um, because I think we're relying a lot on Kyle Walker Peters to get forward on the right. Um, and with, uh, you know, with no depth at that position too, it's, it's kind of, it is a little bit worrying for me, uh, you know, how he's going to hold up o- over the course of an entire season. But, um, but yeah, that, that's just kind of, I guess where I'm at with that. But, um, do you, do you think now, like based on, on, on what we have, the, uh, you know the the small injuries that the the squad is taking up and and picking up at, over time. Do you think that the they go into the January window with a need to to pick up players, and then do you think that that will actually happen? Do you think we'll actually uh, see new faces around the squad come the end of the month? I don't expect there to be any permanent signings, no. But I think you look at especially in fullback positions that it's in a very precarious state at the moment, isn't it? You talk about Walker Peters, and you're completely right. But if he gets injured. I don't think Hartsnitz will go for Valerie. I think it'd probably move more Prowse there or something. Yeah. And that means you take away more Prowse's bite in the middle of the park. Mm-hmm. So, and if Bertrand, I think he's played one of the most amount of minutes, it's only second to Walker Prowse in 2020, and for a 32 year old, that's pretty good going. Yeah. So, um, if they had replacements, if Vokins was able to step up, I'm not sure he's quite ready yet. If Valerie was what we thought he might be a couple of years ago, then that'd be fine. But I think there's a real issue there. And, if them two get injured, then you can you'll see maybe problems starting to occur. But at the moment, touch wood, they're okay and they you know they can keep going. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, my my worry. I, I hate the January transfer window with a passion. Um, I hate the summer transfer window as well. And I realize that we need players to come in, but I just the, the speculation around all of it always seems to be. Um, I think Martin Simmons pointed out, you know, uh, talking about one of the uh, Alex Frick, one of the bigger, uh, you know, more well-known writers or commentator, whatever you want to call him. Um, and, you know, he just said he doesn't know what he's talking about. Like th- these things are, you know, we're, we're all making stuff up basically when it comes to the transfer window, which um, I laughed, but I also kind of uh, there was a tear there, too, because it's like, well, if 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 he doesn't know, <laughs> then then what are we what are we actually going to do? And, and uh you know, people just get riled up on the internet about about players coming in or not coming in or whatever. There's something today about Michael Obafemi potentially going on loan, um, which, you know, if I hadn't seen him in previous seasons, I would say he's about like Salisu, and I don't know if he's actually a real person. Um, but uh, you know, th- there it is. And I mean, we're gonna we're gonna have the Liverpool match. By the time people hear this, we'll we'll have played Liverpool, um, and then I think the the FA Cup match is next. And uh, I guess just do you anticipate? Uh, Salisu getting a start there, or do you think he's he's still going to be held out for one reason or another? I'm really looking forward to that uh, Shrewsbury game because when the draw got completed, I called that, or I predicted that I think Salisu will make his first appearance against Shrewsbury. But it'll be just great to see them guys that are on the periphery who clearly Ralph doesn't really trust at the moment, the likes of Valerie, uh, Vokins, Fraser Forster, um, Salisu, who we don't know what's been going on with him recently. It's been a little bit weird how he's not really said much or the social media's not quite covered him. Um, but it'd be great to see them, good to see how they adjust to the system. And yeah, I think Salisu, as you, me, we're all really excited to see him because he comes with a big reputation. 
he's been on the bench the last three or four games, but we've not really seen him. We haven't seen him at all today. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, watching some of his highlights from uh, when he was playing in Spain, it looks, looks great physically. And I think we just have to be patient with him learning, um, learning the game and learning the system and everything else. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people wanted him to come in instead of Stevens uh, a couple weeks ago. And, and I just think having him and Bednarak on the same pitch, I don't think that's quite the partnership we want. I think we want, uh, we, we've seen how important Vestergaard is playing the ball out, bringing the ball out. And I don't think Bednarak or, or Salisu are that type of player yet. Maybe they, they will become that, but they're not there yet. So I think that, um, you know, having having Stevens in there for now is probably the better partner for Bednarak, and uh, we'll see. We'll see who who gets to play uh, alongside who once uh, Shrewsbury comes up. And I guess if if it's if it's Stevens and Salisu, I think we'll know who's who's. Yeah, you know, I, I guarantee you, or I can't guarantee anything, but I think what'll happen is Stevens will shift across to the right, Salisu will play on the left because that's his preferred side, and I think that'll show us exactly, uh, you know, where what the pecking order is like in, in in the center back partnership. Who who moves for who? there um let, let's let's jump into some listener questions people can send in questions on, on twitter instagram facebook uh you can send in emails direct messages all that stuff it just uh just look for the post or just send them in it doesn't doesn't really matter uh we got one from uh a, i don't know if it's a friend of yours but it's somebody you know ryan honey um he he does the thing that everybody does he says hi mark uh and then apologize for it don't people call me mark all the time it just it happens so uh, anyway, do you think Southampton should be gunning for Europa League football this season? And do you think they are good enough to compete should they get there? Uh, so we'll start with that one first. And uh, I guess just coming into the season based on, on, on Project Restart and all that stuff, Southampton's form was was phenomenal. Um, we tailed off a little bit in, in the winter, which was, uh, as you wrote in your piece, probably always going to happen given um, just given the, the effort that's required in the, in the size of the squad. Um, but do you think we're we're good enough to get there, and or do you think we're going to wind up coming up a little bit short if the con- fixtures continue to pile up the way they are? It's one of these seasons where I think it's impossible to predict anything. The amount of games that are coming, coronavirus, every all the other mitigating factors that are just it's impossible to even see. Next couple of weeks, you've got to take a game at a game at a time. But when Southampton are on 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 form in tune, for me, they can get into Europe. They're, with their pressing, with everything, but the issue is they've not always got the quality. Um, most teams they play against, they've got a far superior bench. You saw that against West Ham. So Southampton really rely on work rate to beat to beat other teams. The the idea of a collective beating the individual, and with these amount of games coming up and this squad that is teetering on the edge of complete collapse and injuries, um, it'll be difficult. But I think if they can, they've got a great team spirit. You can see that. And what in these crazies of seasons and in these uncertain times, why not? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it, it, when you look at the teams that are in the Europa League now, do you see Southampton being able to compete with some of them, or do you think that um, you know? Because obviously, you you've been watching Saints for a long time. You've been a lifelong fan. Uh, when we got there last time, we we could have competed, I think, and and yet we still managed to just kind of fall short. It seems like every time. Uh, at, at every obstacle we could, we just seem to come up a little bit short. Do you think the squad is, I guess my biggest concern is that we're, this, the team's not, the squad's not deep enough to be able to play that number of games. We're seeing what this fixture congestion is doing to the team now, let alone playing Thursday, Sunday, which means I have to get up at 4 a.m., which is not really, <laughs> I mean, I'll do it, but um, we better be playing well if I'm going to be doing that, you know. 
I think but you've got to take into consideration next year, um, there'll be more rotation in the squad. And you hope by the time that does roll around with the work rail partners will do with the B team, that the academy players will be able to step up and then play them Europa League games, whoever you're playing, whether it's in Israel or Turkey, you know. So I'd hope next year, Carson's what I'm sure he is, and the back, rest of the backroom staff are thinking we're going to start slowly integrating these young lads into the first team picture and playing more games. All right. Uh, Ryan also asks, he says, what areas of the team do you think need bolstering in the January window? Um, would you say it's it's the fullback position, and uh, or would you say that it's the the wide attacking areas, or or, or where would you think if if you're gonna just gonna look at a at an area of the pitch to 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 just I guess bolster what what where, where would you go? I think as we touched on, I think the fullback positions are well, obviously where there could be a reason to uh, strengthen. But I think I remember writing about this last year. I kind of miss Salampton having this classic number ten playmaker. You don't, don't have one at the moment, obviously. Short arms from can do it, but it's, that's not his natural position. I miss that Dusan Tadic, that Le, Adam Lalana, even Gaston Ramirez, a guy that you know floats around sometimes, but he can you know thread a pass through. And in these games, like we saw against West Ham, you just need somebody who can just just compose themselves and see them falls into the likes of Ings, Adams, even Walker Peters, who's been making some excellent runs. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, I think Slamton are missing that little bit of guile and a bit of quality in between the lines and in that number 10 position. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think those players are expensive. <laughs> Maybe, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Mezzarozzo is available, right? Like, he's just hanging out. He's not doing anything. I'm um, not sure if he would the press. Yeah, the no, no, he doesn't. Uh, no, that's <laughs> definitely not. Um, Alex Robinson, uh, who's on Twitter, at A-R-O-A-R-0-B-I-N-S. Um, says, I've been reading Jacob's articles and was wondering what's the next step for Southampton in terms of their progression on the pitch. And I guess I was, I was thinking about this and we've gone from a team who could, uh, you know, kind of counterattack or just defend, you know, we were defending with, with, uh, you know, five defenders for a long time. We abandoned that. Uh, we started just trying to kind of pump it long and, and then kind of win the ball high up the pitch and get a shot off within one or two passes. Um, and now we're kind of going to a team where we are conducting. We have so much more possession, as you mentioned earlier, um, where we're trying to do that. What do you think, I guess, is the next step for the team in terms of, um, of continuing to progress? And, and I guess, do you think we have the quality to do it? I think it's just purely adding more strings to your bow, uh, being less predictable. At the moment, Slampton are kind of being a little bit predictable, obviously, with other factors, as you said. But I, I would like just to see... The likes of Gineppo, them wide players, take on their fullbacks a little bit more. 1v1, Ryan Birch and Walker Peters overlapping. At the moment, everything's so inward. I'd just like to see Stanford put more crosses into the box because I think Che Adams, we don't really see it. He's not a bad head of the ball. No. It's just Stanford don't put a lot of crosses aerially into the box. I think that's probably a route Stanford goes down in terms of getting more goals and creating more chances. We also have some questions from the Patreon Discord channel. Um, patrons, of course, get priority for having their questions answered on the show, assuming I don't forget they exist at all. Um, Dave Lee says, I'm sure you'll touch on these, but what can Southampton do to turn around their scoring drought? We kind of talked about that, become less predictable. Uh, keys to finding form. Once again, we, we did discuss that, but thank you, Dave. Uh, Kevin says, what are the chances of us having a squad big enough to have two quality players at each position? And if you kind of think about the squad, Ralph definitely seems to have his first 11. Uh, and then we, I think we have, you know, maybe one extra wide player or maybe two extra wide players. But then it, after that, 
we kind of fall apart. Like we don't have the depth. And you mentioned the, you know, looking at the the squad or the bench just against West Ham and, and things like that. I mean, it's going to take time for us to to build those academy players into into I guess you know things that. Uh, it's going to take time for Ralph to build the academy players into people he can trust on the pitch. Um, and I don't really see us going out in January and, and getting, bringing in a ton of people. That's obviously not how the, how the club works, but um, you know, I guess how does it, how long does it take for that to happen? And, and do you think it'll be mostly academy players? Or do you think that the saints will have to make some signings just to give some depth to the squad? I think always bringing in fresh faces, of course, stimulates the existing group and then it probably helps them progress in themselves. I just think it all depends on the coaching and we all we know Parsons is just fantastic. He's a fantastic coach first and foremost. And I think that it seems like Southampton where they haven't got much as much money. They can't do what a pet and city do where they think, right, we need a goalkeeper, let's try and get two until one of them works. They need to continually learn from their mistakes, give them opportunities. And I think especially for these young lads, I think they do need some opportunities in the team. The likes of Smallbone, Vokings, they will get chances, but it's about not just putting them into the Shrewsbury game, mm-hmm. maybe an FA Cup game after that. Obviously, this year they might the, the fruits might not you know pay, yeah. but next year I think they'll be much better for it. Okay, all right, yeah, it's it's going to be. I think it's going to take a, a significant amount of time because we we can watch them play you know the B team games and things like that, and they look great, but that level isn't quite as obviously it's not Premier League level, and but I think we've seen. You know, and Lindelou and guys come in and play and look fine for short spells in games. And, you know, but we also saw that with Josh Sims a couple of years ago. He came off the bench a couple of times late in games, looked great. Um, but then for some reason never got a chance. And when he did start, kind of seemed to to disappear. And I think that's, you know, we we want to get excited as fans about about players that and we see what they do when they come off the bench and they go, Oh, you know, they look great. Why aren't they starting and this and that? And there's a lot, I think you just have to remind ourselves there's a lot more that goes into it than, than what we see just in, in the 90 minutes or the 95 minutes that we get to watch them play on the pitch. And, um, you know, from training to just their understanding and things like that. And, and I think over the course of a game, when other managers watch our team, they can, they will find holes. And if that a player isn't up to snuff, um, they will, they will of course be, be found out. I think, I think that's, that's what makes the, the premier league so entertaining is that there's this constant kind of battle between managers and players and everything else. And uh, I think it's going to take some time for us to to do that. Um, but I do think that if we go into the Europa League or anything like that, we're we're going to need to have those players. And I think, uh, you know, we'll actually get to see, you know, uh, the academy players probably get more of a shot, uh, like as you mentioned, if we if we do get or progress that far. Um, but you know, we've fallen a little bit from from the the our, our time at the top of the table there for a couple of days, and uh, we're going to have to turn our form around if we want to keep that up. So. Um, but that does it for, for part one, just a reminder, this is being recorded before the Liverpool game. We'll come back with part two, uh, in just a moment. We'll recap the Liverpool game and, and, and all that, but, uh, Jacob, thanks for joining me and we'll talk to you again in just a minute. All right, Jacob Tanswell, welcome back. Uh, since we talked last time, you've gone to the stadium, you've seen, uh, Southampton beat Liverpool. Uh, you're one of the few people that actually got to see the match. I don't think any of us were expecting that, but, uh, how are you feeling right now? 11.50 p.m. on Monday, January 4th. I just feel completely uh, privileged to be able to be there and just to watch that, you know, in, in person, that performance, that display of just everything that Southampton are about now, that fight, that character. And you just saw at the end where Parsons were going to his knees 
that was just a culmination. That just, that second half were, were just constant waves of attack and the way they just slid for every ball. They were cheering for every throw and it was just remarkable to see and just everyone in the ground was just so tense and then that final whistle to blow and that outpouring of emotion to come in was just absolutely remarkable to see and I'm, as I said, I'm really, really lucky to be to, to have been there. I have no idea how any of the guys are still standing because I'm exhausted having just watched that performance. And, you know, I, I thought when we scored in the second minute, I thought that's too early. Like there's no way we can do this, but um, we did. And it was a team that was changed. It was a team that, you know, you look at it and you just look at on paper and go, you know, this probably isn't going to, you know, go very well for us. And yet, you could see that we, uh, as the game went on, we did not want to lose. The guys did not want to lose. They were going to do everything they could to make sure that we didn't lose. And in the end, uh, they did it. But I was, I was really worried for portions of that, especially in the second half, as, as like as you said, Liverpool just came wave after wave after wave. We couldn't get it uh, away, and you just see, start to see the team sucking deeper and deeper and deeper. And you just go like, you know, I don't know, I don't know how this is going to go. But um, man, I am, I am. I, I'm exhausted. Uh, that's how that's just from watching it. But uh, let's try to go through this a little bit. Um, you know, the lineup comes out. McCarthy, obviously uh, positive COVID test. Ralph was back on the sideline, uh, given that his wife had tested negative now. Um, hopefully she recovers and, and all that stuff. Hopefully McCarthy also gets healthy. But looking at the lineup, some changes there and some some late additions and things like that. Forster comes in in goal. Uh, the back line, essentially, after that stays the same. Stevens is in for Vestigard, who's out injured. Um, in midfield, Diallo comes in for Romeu. And then Adams is missing as well. And we have Walcott playing up top, Janebo out on the left, and Armstrong on the right. And, I mean, looking at that lineup and then looking at, you know, Thiago's back for, for Liverpool and their front three are all there. And, you know, what what were you kind of looking or expecting once you saw how the team was going to line up and, and kind of what were your feelings when, when that came out? Well, you know, we talked, we heard about yesterday about Alex McCarthy missing the game, but then it came as a surprise that Oriol Romay would have been there. And Che Adams was touch and go, and obviously he, he, did, he missed out in this case. But I think when the team sheet came out and you saw that sub bench as well, where it was Shane Long and the rest were just academy players, you just thought, you know what, guys, just give it your best shot. Obviously, Liverpool have just got this unbelievable team and they've got Thiago back, which just makes everything... 10 times worse for you when you're trying to win the ball back. But just do your best. Maybe see a slight improvement on you know, the West Ham game. Maybe just see a little bit of attack. Or just, just something so you can take them to the next game after this. But to do what they, to do what they did, especially with the players that came in as well, they just fitted in fantastically. And I'm sure we'll get onto that. But yeah, really, really impressed by the guys that are not perceived to be in the strongest team. But the guys that came in who were on the periphery, they were excellent too. And I think it just says a little bit more about what Ralph's been able to do with the the team. And I think in part one, uh, before the game, we were kind of talking about, we were worried that some of those guys, you know, was the team deep enough? Were they going to be able to, to to step up? And and if we go and make it into the Europa League, how, how are we going to wind up, um, you know, coping with that? And today you saw some of the younger guys are still very raw. They're still, you know, they're going to make mistakes. They're, they're going to go through patches in a game where they're not going to be able to really get their foot in. But then you see some of the signings and some of the recruitment that the Saints have, have made. And uh, Diallo looked really, really good in the midfield. Um, and, and kind of all the guys that came in just did, they did their job. They did enough. And 
you know, the, going back to the first half, the first part again, um, you know, when everybody does plays their role and does their job, things do work. And sometimes you have to get a little bit lucky. Uh, Liverpool definitely, you know, weren't on their, their a game in terms of finishing, but I think we did everything we could to make it, uh, to make it hard for them. And I know, I think Sky Sports gave us, you know, 20 seconds about how good we were and the rest of it was how Liverpool failed. And I think, um, you know, we deserve a little bit more than that uh, based on, you know, how, how well we played tonight in the, in the execution. You could see that at the end with Ralph. But, um, you know, let, let's, let's go start from the very beginning. The first real, uh, you know, talking point is we get a set piece. We have been a threat from set pieces this year. We've, we've done well from them, but we're missing Vestergaard. We've seen a lot of balls go towards the back post for him to be headed back across, and he's not there. And instead, we go near post, just kind of flick it over uh, the wall. Ings makes the run. And, um, I mean, what a, what a finish. What a You can see Jack Stevens kind of screaming for the ball um, to come across, and it's like, look, man, uh, I know you can kick it too, but like, let's let's just let Danny Ings do what Danny Ings does. But what was... Uh, you know, what, what was your reaction? I know obviously you're in the press area, so you can't celebrate, but what was your reaction when you saw that, that play kind of unfold? Well, you sensed it before the free kick was taken. I remember uh, Walt Krause went to do a quick one, but then I think Ralph Parsons was shouting to just uh, delay the, the move. And in terms of the setup, it wasn't the usual setup of stakes. Normally they're all stationed at the far post, but Danny Ings and another player, I can't remember who, at the front post, like we said. And I just sense something was a little bit different and they might try something here. You've seen this season a lot, actually, for Southampton. They're being a little bit more creative with their set pieces. They're taking short ones, going uh, crosses with different angles on, and they've been a lot more inventive. And I think you saw that there straight away. And you just saw, you just sensed something was coming, especially with Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's not the greatest in the air or dealing with aerial balls. And that, in order for that goal to be scored, my reaction was, what a, what a pass from more prowess. And then, what a time of run and dink from Danny Ings. Everything had to be perfect for that goal to score on. Luckily it was. I, you know, initially I wasn't really sure how that was going to work. You look at the angle he had and you look at kind of, it didn't really seem like there was a shot there. And then when the ball went up in the air, I initially thought it was going to go out of play, you know, not even close just because of the, the, the camera angle that we had. But um, to see it come down into the, the far side of the net. And I think... One of the pictures that the one of the Saints camera guys got is just Allison has, I mean, he's absolutely, he's got no chance to save it. And he's just hoping, you know, it, it goes over. And, and uh, luckily for us and luckily for, I think, you know, everyone, it, it, it didn't. And um, I don't know, you, you could just see kind of what it, what it meant to, to everybody as they celebrated. And you could see Stevens go from pointing where he wanted the ball to just the arms slowly go up in the air. And then he just sprints toward Ings, who... Uh, you know, has scored a ton of goals for us and didn't really get a chance for Liverpool, even though it's his, it's his former club, and uh, it just it just means a lot. But then, you know, at that point, uh, you know, we're we're in the third minute of the game by the time the celebration's done, and we have to, you know, you look ahead and go like, you know, it's 87 minutes, and and Liverpool are going to be coming, and 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 they did. I mean, they dominated possession. Uh, they dominated. They they dominated most aspects of that game in terms of uh, the statistics, but um. I don't know. I, I mean, how how worried were you that we were going to cave and, and give that give that up? And then are there any moments in particular where you thought we looked um, per, uh, particularly vulnerable? Well, I'm, since I've got home, I've seen a, quite a lot of people being critical of Liverpool's performance. I thought, apart from the final four, I thought they were good. I thought Thiago, like the Robertson, Alexander, they switched the ball fantastically. They moved it quickly. And uh, afterwards, Jurgen Klopp said 
uh, a lot of teams would normally cave into this type of pressure from, from us. And Sir Anthony said we're on the edge of it, but they never, we never quite managed it. And that just shows you that although Liverpool were good, they weren't, they weren't able to finish it off. And I thought that throughout. I never felt like Southampton were in real huge danger of just completely collapsing. Yeah, they might, equal, might Liverpool might get a goal, but I never felt Southampton were out of it at any point. They were always there. They were always throwing their bodies on the line. And I think that's a testament more to Southampton than a criticism of Liverpool. They just couldn't get that final pass right because the likes of Bednarik, Stevens, Walker-Peters were just throwing their bodies on the line. And Southampton were close to maybe conceding at some points, but then they just reacted with a fantastic tackle out of nowhere. And for me, that was the most pleasing thing about today. Yeah, I think there were several instances where Bednarik, Stevens, and Kyle Walker-Peters were all sliding in, blocking balls, um, coming up big. And, uh, and that's, that's what you have to do if you're going you're gonna to win games like that. And to see us, you know, having come from uh, a couple of, of subpar performances where we seem to lack that kind of that vigor, that passion, that energy, whatever it is, to come in now and, and put in this performance, it, it really says, say, you know, we, you know that, that's there the whole time. Sometimes you maybe you just need a rest. You just need something. Uh, to kickstart it. And I think, you know, I don't like to see us defend that deep, but sometimes you just have to, the game plan plays out that way. And then that's just what you have to do. Um, there were a couple of moments, as you said, where we, we didn't ever really look out of it. And especially I think in the first half, we were playing with Liverpool a, a lot. Um, Musa Gineppo obviously had to go off injured at some point, but uh, he was really, he made a really good turn um, on Trent Alexander Arnold, where he just kind of uh, completely took him out of the game and beat him down the line and then I think the ball was just too, too far in front of Armstrong. But when it was Armstrong against Jordan Henderson, I kind of went like, hey, this is a race we can win. Um, and, you know, I, I, I wonder if Liverpool fans felt the same way. You know, that's like us seeing Vestergaard in a foot race with just about anyone. Um, but, you know, he, the crosses didn't have anything on it. But I, I thought Gineppo played uh, decently well for, uh, for, for, the, for the portion of the match that he was there. Uh, but when he did go off, um, he was in tears going down the, the tunnel and you probably didn't get to see that based on the fact that you were there, but um, he was, in, he was in tears and I don't think it was in pain cause he was walking. It's probably just frustration because he's uh, seemingly been injured. And this is the chance that we, he would have had to start um, a, a run of games. And um, you know, what did you make of his performance up until the time that he had to go off? You said about the, uh, the spin he did on the train Alexander Arnold that I picked up on that straight away. He was right down where I was actually. And I just thought that's the old move for Ginepo. We said when I spoke to you the other day that with Gineppo doesn't look you know he's caught in in between at the moment I just and that turned to happen I just thought that was fantastic and it's kind of just the old Musa Gineppo coming out that bravery that ability to try things off the cuff like I'm not sure Alexander Arnold has been spun like that this season before mm-hmm. but, and I thought he looked really sharp sometimes he doesn't really know what he's doing sometimes but that type of game suited him Liverpool's high line he had lots of space to run into so you know it's a absolute it's a real big shame that he did go off injured, but it kind of is a story of his Southampton career, isn't it? He spends a lot of periods where he doesn't really do much, and then when he looks like he's finally picking it up in terms of his Southampton career, he then gets another injury. Yeah. Afterwards, Parsons uh, said that I think the physio, physio team are going to investigate the amount of muscle injuries he does pick up. That could be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have to, to keep, keep an eye on that. And then also, you know, what changes are going to happen to the team uh, as, as it goes. And, um, 
in the first half, especially, I think we were, you know, we were kind of, it was more of an even game. I think as the second half wore on, Liverpool did push forward and there probably would have been a, a conversation in the locker room about the fact that Liverpool were probably going to have more of the ball in the second half and we were going to have to do some defending. And, and there were times where we couldn't really get out in the second half. But during the first half, um, we just seemed to be, we were taking one too many touches. We were, uh, you know, Walcott was offside several times. I think Ings was offside once or twice, Armstrong as well. And it was just like, had we released the ball just, you know, a half second earlier, maybe we create another chance on the break and then we, we that changes the game a little bit. So I, I think if I'm going to be critical at all of the performance, that that that's the aspect that it was. But we don't often get chances to play on the break like that. Usually we are, um, you know, either either winning the ball back high up the pitch and playing it quickly or we are um, the, the have we and at least in recent weeks have been the team that's been doing. Um, most of the attacking and have most of the possession. So to see the guys kind of adjust a little bit could have been better, but um, I can't really complain about that. But the decision to bring Tella on uh, for Janapo, I thought that would mean that that Walcott would shift out wide and Tella would go up top. And I think they kind of just, they alternated. They they were pretty fluid there for for a while. But uh, what did you make of of some of the, some of the players who uh, did come in? Because uh, one thing I wanted to ask you is you look at, at Forster Stevens, Diallo, who all make starts, who are not not regular starters. Um, then Tella comes in, and Lundelu comes in a little bit uh, much later than Tella. But um, which of those guys, I guess, impressed you the most tonight? Um, and I guess you know made a made maybe a, a case for themselves for to to be able to start uh, as we go forward. I think it, yeah, you have to look closely to Fraser Forster in terms of this because he hasn't played for a while. I think it's three years since his last home game. But I wanted to see how he was in terms of his just his confidence. It wasn't so much the saves and stuff. We know he, he can, he's quite a good shot stopper on his day. It was just his clarity of thought when coming out. And obviously, under Hartington, you have to be a good sweeper as a goalkeeper. And one thing that used to let Forster down was he used to stand on his line too much and stutter. And there was a good point in the 18th minute or so when, even though Salah was offside, you saw Forster stutter. But then, then he decided, you know what, I'm going to commit to it. And he managed to get a toe onto the ball. And that, for me, that just then just transformed him. He was confident. He came out of his goal. He was loud. Command his box. I thought he was superb. Stevens, type of game he loves. Back to the rope. Last ditch tackles. Moaning at referees. He loves that type of thing. I thought he was fantastic as well. But for me, my uh, guy that for me was the best was Ibrahim Diallo. You saw in that midfield, it was such a tight area, wasn't it? With Liverpool's other three just cramming just Diallo and Ward Prowse. But the amount of work them two had to get through and how good they had to be on the ball when they did get it. And when they did get it, they didn't have much time on it. I thought they were they were superb, and especially Diallo. He he's not been in the team, and he, it must be difficult for a guy from France or playing in France to come over and adjust to that type of tempo. But it's such a quick game, and for him to do that in his second Premier League start was fantastic. You know, it's probably a little bit easier coming up top, and and you have your one strike partner, and you're going to be, you know, making runs in behind or trying to win the ball back and, and things like that, and. Uh, it's a, a bit more simple if you're if you're trying to head the ball as it's coming out of the air versus in midfield where you know Romeo has played such a role in in continuing to 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 just help the team tick over and things like that and you wonder how's anybody going to slot in there especially like you said against Liverpool against that midfield that um is dynamic and you know there's a lot of trophies there there's a lot of experience there and here's this kid from uh you know coming out of the French league at 21 years old that just kind of steps in and doesn't look out of place at all which I think we have to give him uh, a lot of credit. I think he definitely is. Um, I don't want to say he should be he should be starting ahead of Vermeer or anything like that, but he's definitely going to be, um, you know, there and, and should be in contention for for you know getting minutes if we have to play more than one match in a week. Which I think, 
you know, you look at the time we had between the last match and today, and you can see what the rest does for us. I think if we have to play this game, you know, Friday or Saturday, maybe we're in a little bit more, maybe we're in a little bit of trouble. Um, but, but we were pretty, pretty good, I think, um, on the day. And, um, I mean, are there any other moments in the first half that really, really stood out for you that you think, uh, need to be, uh, to, to be mentioned before we kind of move on to the second half and talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it was just before half time, uh, Salampton were keeping the ball around the back. I think Benerick and Walker Pete were having it and Liverpool had this heavy, heavy press. There was like six or seven trying to swarm that ball, especially down that right side. And most of the teams, I think Samson would have last year, they would have just gone long. The easiest route would have just been Benerick just to clear it down the lines and just, you know, just release the, any of pressure they were under. But no, they were brave on the ball. Everyone wanted the ball. Nice quick combinations. They managed to beat the Liverpool press and then fire Ings down that right side. And mm-hmm. um, I think Samson won a corner from it. Yep. So that was for me. Although, you know, it didn't amount to much, it was just such a great indication of how fast they're coming, come and how confident they are. Yeah, I think that shows you, like you said, the confidence is there. And, and the fact that we were able to break that press shows, I think, uh, the progression that we've made. Because as you said, last year, we would probably wouldn't even have tried it. And tonight, we, I mean, we did, we did play through their press several times. And I think it just shows, you know, uh, that the, the team is progressing. And there's a time and a place to do that. And I think they, they, did the, they, cho- they made the right decisions tonight. Uh, when it was time to go long, it was time to go long. Um, and, and I guess also we didn't bring on Shane Long, which, uh, so it wasn't long time, but, um, uh, there were a couple of instances early on where Forster went to go kick it and it didn't look great. He didn't quite look like he was up to, you know, had all the confidence, but as you, as you said, he, he, he grew into it a little bit and, um, you know, he came up, there was the one I think late on where the corner comes in and the cross comes in and he just kind of like potted away and it went like you know 35 yards out for a, a throw or maybe and it was just like one why are you why are you punching it like can you just grab the ball and hold on to it but also you know we were used to seeing that from him so uh you know there you go but um just before halftime liverpool uh had a had a run of play where they switched it from one fullback to the other and and we've seen it with with vestergaard for us uh, going out to kyle walker peters um and, and what that does to create space and, and kind of pull the defense apart. Uh, and, and Liverpool have done this for, you know, several seasons now where, where they go Robertson to Trent Alexander-Arnold or, or vice versa. Um, and it started to, to get to us. And then you saw it again more going into the second half. And um, as the second half went on, I think the first 10 minutes of the second half, I want to say the possession was like 90% Liverpool or something like that. Um, and I mean, that's, that's hard to to deal with and that's hard to, uh, kind of defend for, uh, that much, but but uh, then again, Saints also kind of you know got moments where they were able to fight forward, and um, I, I don't really know what else to say about it other than that there was some heroic defending, and they everybody kind of stuck to their task, and um, I think Kyle Walker Peters deserves another shout out for the job that he did against Sadio Mane, who I would have punched in the face uh, at least once based on some of the treatment he was giving to Kyle Walker Peters today, uh, and I really mm-hmm. like Sadio Mane, but he was frustrating to. As an opposition uh, player tonight, he was pretty frustrating to watch. I think Carl Walker pieces. I think if he's not in for the claim to be in the England squad next time, I'm not sure what Gareth Southgate's doing. I think Carl Walker pieces is the all-round modern fullback. Obviously, everyone lords Trent Alexander Arnold about his attacking instincts. He sees tonight is defensively. He's nowhere near the level of Walker Peters. Aaron Wambasaka's great defensively, not very good going forward. Me, if you want an all-round right back, 
that Kyle Walker-Peters there. He's done, he was brilliant today in, that, in his 1v1 duels. You, when do you ever see Kyle Walker-Peters get spun like Alexander Arnold did against Gineppa? You never see that. He was calm. He never dived in once. And for a guy who's facing Sadio Mane, arguably the best left winger in the Premier League in the world, to do it as such a surety and just how calm he is at, what, 23 years old? He, the possibilities for him are endless. And for me, I think you've just got to save a Kyle Walker-Peters because he could possibly be paying for a much, much bigger club. Yeah, you know, I think somebody tweeted, you know, Spurs must be really upset of having gotten rid of their best uh, their best right back. And it's like, well, you know, they, maybe they did. And he just seems to be thriving. Uh, and he he didn't back down from 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 that tonight. He, he just play, had another outstanding game. And I think we say it almost every week now that even if we don't play well, he seems to be the player that is um, getting the recognition and I'll be honest, I was kicking myself having left him in my fantasy team uh, because I, you know, they're playing Liverpool. But you know, he he showed proved that he he should have he he should be there. Uh, he, he I'm I, I'm just gonna stop stop worrying about that from from now on. Um, I think we we're pretty used to seeing uh, about one error game from from Saints in terms of of goalkeeper issue or whatever. Uh, but tonight it was Allison who kind of made uh, kind of a, a well, terrible decision uh, to come out and, and Valerie was on the pitch, which we hadn't seen Valerie, um, I think since June, if I'm correct. I think it's been that long, maybe against Arsenal. Um, and, you know, he's on the pitch playing as a, as a midfielder uh, on the right, but um, he gets played through. Allison comes out and you just kind of go like, please put enough on this ball to get it in there. And he got to buy him. But uh, you could just see it was, it was almost, uh, you've seen where the, I think it was in Germany, where the ball goes through uh, and it just gets held up by the snow and doesn't go in. That was, that seemed to be like, even if, if the, the defender didn't get there, I don't think the ball was actually going to get all the way into the net. Um, but I was really hoping. And, and I don't know, did you, did, could you see that coming from Allison? Was he just trying to do too much? Is that, was that, was that what all that was? Well, I saw Jack Stevens play that ball to Valerie, who made a great run. And, you know, I think right wing might be his area to go down. Uh, but that, I think that conversation for another day. But, well, out of nowhere, I just saw Alison sprinting out a goal. I just thought, <laughs> what is this guy doing? It, there's no real danger. I think the Liverpool defenders were covering in. There's no chance that Valerie was one-on-one. And Alison just gave Valerie a chance. He made his mind up for him. Obviously, with Valerie, he probably wasn't expecting a guy six foot three to be charging out at him. So he <laughs> thought by surprise. But yeah, as you said, he didn't put enough on it. And that, that would have been the, the perfect topping, wouldn't it, for, for the evening? It would have been 2-0, game over, no more tension. In, uh, but, you know, Valerie, I thought, when he came on, I thought he did well. And hopefully that's something to build build on. And hopefully it's done his confidence and world of good. Yeah, yeah. I guess we just had to hold the collective sigh of relief for just, you know, a few more minutes until the final whistle blew. But um that reminded me a little bit of when Armstrong was through and I think against Aston Villa, maybe uh, keeper was up for a corner and he just had to just get it, just, just get it in there. And, and, and he did, but I think Adams played that ball um, probably a much nicer passage of play. But um, anyway, um, we hadn't beaten Liverpool, I think since the three, two in the league, since the three, two uh, where we came back from being down two nil at halftime. I think Monty scored twice in that one. Hassan Hoodle had never beaten Klopp. Uh, even going back to Germany. So there's all kinds of like reasons to say this shouldn't have happened, but I think you can also see how far saints have come and saints came into it with a game plan. They stuck to the game plan. Um, they pressed when they had the chance and they, they kind of just did the job. They did, they, they defended deep when they needed to defend and 
Uh, they took advantage of the, the one or two chances they had. But um, I mean, really, we, we, we prevented Liverpool from really having a lot of, of, of clear cut chances um, a, as the game went on. Um, they had 16 shots, but only one on target. We had three on target. Um, they had 10 corners, but they didn't create anything from it. And I don't think, you know, as we kind of spoke about earlier, that's that's not anything against Liverpool. That's I think that's us doing a good job of of just putting them off their game just a little bit. And of course, if Liverpool are 100% fully firing, you know, they can always put up you know several goals in a match. But I, I think what we what we saw tonight was down, or you know, or you know, if you're listening to this on Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever, um, what we saw at, at St Mary's was down to Saints playing well, executing the game plan. And, um, you know, just, just putting their bodies on the line when it was necessary. And I think really, um, if we do all that and then they get a last minute corner and they, and they tie it up, it's going to feel deflating. But I think we'll all look back at the team and say, we did everything we could to, to make sure, you know, that that didn't happen. I, as you said, I think that's a perfect description of what happened tonight. This period where Liverpool got into good, some good positions, but then the their final ball wasn't there. And that's because of Slamson's great defending. But I think Slamson just, they just kept their shape so well. They were nice and compact. If any balls did go past him, it was out wide. And you saw Bertrand and Walker-Peters. I think Bertrand doesn't get enough credit either because I think he marshaled Salah fantastically well tonight. He, he was always experienced. Um, and I thought them two were superb tonight. I thought Walcott and Armstrong, we, we know what you're going to get from them. They tracked back. And for me, that's the way Lampton play at the moment. That's the way... Arsenal wants them to do when they don't just go to the ball and close them down, you know, jogging. But sometimes you see that other winger that doesn't really want to defend. Armstrong, Gineppo, Walcott, they all want to defend. They want to sprint to that ball. They want to win tackles. You see, Gineppo, I think he's got one of the highest tackle rate in the Premier League. He wants to close people down. And that's a testament to what Arsenal can make these players do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, uh, you know, you see some of the guys that are coming on the pitch that are doing the same thing that shows like this, this idea is trickling down towards uh, the, the guys playing in the B team and they are willing to come in and keep that same kind of uh, rhythm and game plan going if they, if they get brought in. And um, I just wanted to, to make mention, you look at again at the team that, that we, uh, the guys we brought in, that you look at the bench and it wasn't an overwhelmingly um, strong bench. We we have injuries. There's no there's no doubt about that. We probably need some more depth. Uh, I'm not gonna you know say we don't based on on one match, but to see the guys from the academy get a chance and you know to go up against you know the 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 Premier League champs and and the former world champs and 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 do it with uh, academy players and things like that. Uh, I, I think we have a lot to be proud of. I just want to give a shout out to Rob who's at SFC. R-X-B-B-O underscore. Um, says, I don't think people understand. We just beat the European champs with five Academy products on the pitch and 11 in the squad. Um, th- this is the Southampton way. And that's, I think that's a, a, a true testament to, to what Saints are building because we're not going to go out and buy uh, Mesut Ozil or anybody like that. We're not going to go buy a playmaker. We're not going to ever be, probably be able to afford Thiago. Um, but, but we can on our day kind of prove that we can play with those guys and um, I, I, I don't think I have enough energy to, for us to sit back and do this every week, but, um, uh, you know, t- twice, three, four times a year, uh, I guess I'm here for it. Surely that makes football better, doesn't it? I think the whole point of football is for the collective, isn't it? To get better as a team for you to grow in strength and unity. And it's okay, it's all right having all this money and stuff, but for me, there's something so authentic about a team that is not very good that's low in confidence, that has got a history of being weak mentally, and just all of a sudden, 
not relying on any individuals or any million multi-million pound signing to you know help them come through it. A bit like what Man United would do through the Fernandes, for example. But just for every single one of them to stand up to get better together. For me, that's the best thing that can happen in football. I would, of course, Southampton would always want more money, but there's something about tonight and how they perform is is much more significant than any amount of money. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, one one final thing, maybe I don't want to end on a sour note necessarily, but when Walcott went off, I think he kicked the ball out um, to, to so he could be subbed, uh, which generally indicates some sort of, of injury. Did, was there any any discussion of that um, post match or any, any idea, or did you see anything that I missed on TV? No, no, not as far as Theo Walcott concerned. There wasn't anything that Hartman said afterwards. Okay. Uh, it's just it's just probably since he's joined, he's been playing every single game, hasn't right. he? I don't think anyone expects him to play this now, but and he does does get through a lot of work. I think it was just a tactical thing as opposed to a, okay, okay. I just you know could we withstand one more injury? I I, I was just worried, so uh, that's good to note. Um, but Jacob, I just want to say thank you uh, for for joining the show twice uh, in in I, just a little bit more than twenty four hours. You know you're always welcome, and and thank you for your writing, thank you for your hard work, and I hope that uh, everything continues to go well, and I hope that at some point you get to sit back inside of a. Uh, uh, of a press box so you don't have to sit out and freeze. Um, but the, I think the good news is you don't have to go to Burnley. If people want to follow you on Twitter, it's at J underscore Tanswell. You can find your writing at Prost. Um, and, you know, it, it's all there. We'll put links in the show notes so people can follow along. And we'll put, put links to your uh, your Prost byline and archive in there as well so people can go back and read some of the pieces that you've written. Um, and I wish you the best of luck, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. that does it for this week's episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you've enjoyed it. Special thanks this week goes out to Jacob Tanswell. You can find him on Twitter at J underscore Tanswell. And once again, all the links to both his Twitter account and his previous articles are in the show notes. Please do check it out. If you don't already read Prost or visit Prost uh, for whether it's with your football or, or boxing or whatever it is, I can say you should. Uh, the journalists they have working there are good. The people behind it uh, are just good people. And it's one of those things that I can personally say uh, and personally recommend and not ever feel guilty about. So uh, give it a chance if you haven't already. And uh, hopefully you enjoy it. Obviously, this is the first episode of 2021. So hopefully you are enjoying it. If you are enjoying the show, please consider leaving a review if the app you listen on allows you to do that. It really does help new people find out about the show. I'd also like to thank the partners of the show, the Saints Archive and the Southampton page. You can follow them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, One will keep you up to date with everything going on around the club. And the other will get you up to date with all of the history and the culture and everything going on behind the scenes that helps make this club so great. So uh, I I can't thank them enough for their their partnership and their support. And hopefully you will go on and support them as well. Links to everything are in the show notes once again. All music for the show comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Boxcat Games. And the end of show credits that you listen to right now is Aim is True by Pottington Bear. The show's logo was done by Matt Beeling of the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. Make sure you give it a follow. And uh, we'll be back next week after the FA Cup match. And until then, we're together. March on. <laughs>